Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to another episode of the Unplayable Podcast. My name is Josh Onafinger. I'm joined by Louis Cameron. Hello, Louis. Hello, Josh. How are you doing, mate? Very well, thank you. But let's waste no time and get into our very special guest for this week's episode. It's Australian opener, Marcus Harris. Welcome, Marcus. Hi, guys. Mate, uh, what's your preparation been like? We're, uh, we're speaking to you over Zoom. We're in Melbourne. You're in Brisbane. We can uh, see a lovely, sunny kind of backdrop. Um, well, it's not raining at least. That uh, that looks like a positive. Tell us what the uh, what the last few days have been like, mate. Oh, well, um, well, being from Victoria, we had to come up, uh, the Victorian and New South Wales players that weren't in the World Cup, um, we had to come up and do quarantine a couple of weeks ago. So we've been here for three weeks now, um, which has been really good. The first probably week and a half just rain. Um, mm. But we had... Luckily enough, had a really good setup at Metricon Stadium. So we had a center wicket there um, and some nets out the back. So we've had some really good sessions. We've probably had five or six center wickets where all the boys have bowled and all the boys have batted. And we've had a really good, you know, good preparation leading into the test. Like I know there was supposed to be that three-day game, but I think probably in hindsight, it's probably going to be better that we've had the opportunity to have that many center wickets where it's been at a high intensity and blokes probably get a bit more out of you know, those centre wickets like that rather than a three-day game that can peter out a bit towards the end. That's interesting. I mean, it's interesting you say that given the the lack of shield um, games that, that you personally might have played and, and the other Victoria and New South Wales guys. Um, so you don't think it's a, it's a big issue that you haven't played a whole heap of cricket, um, I guess, in the last month? No, I don't think so. I think obviously once you get to like a certain level of cricket, blokes don't forget how to play. So it's sort of just getting themselves up to speed again. Um, probably getting the workload into the bowlers. Uh, and then I think it was pretty much everyone besides Davey and Smudge hadn't played any shield cricket. So the batters were fine. Um, and I know personally coming off the back of like a playing through the winter, um, I felt like I've played enough cricket. Last year was probably a bit of a different story where I didn't play through the winter and I'd only played a couple of shield games. Um, you know, you can train as much as you want the nets, but it's never like the real thing. But having the ability to have centre wickets has been really good. So our training's been as good as I've ever seen it. Again, just amazing timing from Marcus Harris. How do you feel about your own form at the minute? And has it helped having that certainty over your position? I mean, we've known for a couple of weeks that George Bailey said you'd be the man. Has that helped with your preparation? Yeah, it's been good. Um, Haven't had to, you know, haven't had to worry about, you know, what, what I'm doing, am I playing, am I not? Um, speculation, haven't had to deal with that, which has been really good. So um, I feel like my game's in a good place. Like I said, we've had three really good weeks of training. So, um, you know, to get some prep in for what we think England might do, um, work on some things in the nets. Then, like I said, we've had the opportunity to have centre wicket. So, that you know, once you have a centre wicket, it's more of a bat v ball, not so much technical, but you're just in the contest a little bit. So we've been able to do that, which has been really good. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. And I know everyone's been the same. So um looking forward to Wednesday rolling around 
I think the weather's going to be all right. So, um, yeah, it's just it's exciting. You said that you've enjoyed the centre wicket training. Be honest with us. Has it always been enjoyable? There have been some fast bowlers there who have a point to prove. Uh, I know, you know, Mitch Stark has been um, green-lighted to play that first test now, but uh, were there some fiery sessions out there? Yeah, there's always the odd ball. They, I feel like when you come to the test side, they have an unlimited amount of new balls. So <laughs> every time you're out in the centre, they've got a brand new ball, which is good. But um, no, all the boys have bowled really well. Um, everyone, yeah, it's just it's just been a really good prep. I think um, to join the boys in quarantine after they won that World Cup was really good. Like the vibe in the group has been really good, um, and everyone just seems to be in a good place. Uh, obviously, there's been a few thing, few hiccups along the way in the last couple of weeks, but that's out of people's control. But um, you know, Paddy's done really well. He's taken control. Um, I sort of feel sorry for him. He's just had a baby, then he's become the captain, so he's got a lot of things thrown on his plate, but. I think if anyone can do it, it's probably Paddy. So, yeah, the vibe's good. I think, um, you know, the English boys haven't been out of play for a while. Uh, we obviously haven't played any Red Bull cricket, so it's going to be interesting to see how that first day goes. But um, I think it'll be pretty good. Who is the worst to face in those centre wickets and in the nets? Uh, if you could nominate just one, is there a standout one that you're dreading to face? Uh well, uh, Paddy and Hoff are always a bit the same. They're sort of like at your thighs and stuff like that. So you always got to make sure you wear your long pants. Otherwise, you end up walking out with a heap of bruises. Um, but yeah, Starkey, just pace-wise and swing is never really too nice. So, um, But I think the good thing as well is like you sort of feel like if you can get through those sessions as a batter, you feel like you're pretty well prepared. Um, so we had a, the boys bowled again this morning out at Norse. Um, so a couple of us went out there and faced them, which was really good. So... Um, like I said, we've had plenty of good preparation against our whole bowling attack, so which is as good as anything. It's you could argue that's better than playing shield cricket. Obviously, it's not time on your feet in the field, but it's um, you know facing you know three of the best seamers in the world and the best offspin in the world you know every day of the week. So it's been good. Marcus, there's been a lot spoken about the the 2019 Ashes and and you and Dave Warner up against Stuart Broad in that series. Have you spoken to Broad, figured out which end he's going to bowl from and just told the ground staff to uh, maybe move the sight screen permanently to around the wicket? Yeah, well, there's probably a fair chance you bowl around the wicket. Um, <laughs> no, I haven't, no. But it's obviously a good challenge. Um, it's going to be good to sort of get another opportunity against him. Um, it was obviously a tough and challenging conditions over in England, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and I know personally, like when I had the opportunity to go up and go over and play in England again after that Ashes series, I wanted to take that with both hands. So um, there's been a lot of work going. Everyone works hard, you know, batters work hard, bowlers work hard on things all the time. So um, I'm looking forward to day one. I'm not, we're not really too sure what they're going to go with bowling wise because I think mm -hmm. they've spoken about um, rotating some of their quicks, but we're prepared for whatever. But yeah, it's just exciting and I'm looking forward to it more than anything. Has that made it harder in a way, not knowing who who they've got, and you know maybe having to to prepare for the whole squad, uh, the whole bowling squad at least for you? No, not really. I think it can be sometimes there can be mind games with people, you know, not wanting to name their team and stuff like that. But I think like you saw the other day with Paddy naming the team two or three days out, it sort of just shows that we're settled and we know what we need to do, um, and they probably are as well. They'll know who they're going to pick, but. You know, when it comes to a test series, you prepare for everyone. So there's no surprises come day one. Um, you might not be too sure who they're going to pick, but you, you've done all your prep on who the potentials could be. So we'll all be ready. Um, 
yeah, but like I said, I'm, we're not too sure what's going to happen with that. Uh, obviously, with the last test, whether that ends up being a ping pong game or not, that might change what they do. So we'll just have to wait and see. And tell us about your relationship with David Warner. What's he like as a batting partner and uh, how do you two get along gen- generally? Oh, he's brilliant as a batting partner. Um, you know, arguably one of the best, if not one of the, well, one of the best all-round opening batsmen in the history of Australian cricket and world cricket. So just to be out there with him, I know watching him five or six years ago from afar was pretty amazing what he was doing. Um, and then, well, obviously we had our struggles out over in England, but um, to bat again with him last summer in the last test was really good um, just to watch the energy that he has and uh, for such a small bloke, the presence that he has at the crease and mm. pressure that he puts back on oppositions is pretty special. So, um, and yeah, we get along pretty well. We He talks a lot of shit and so do I, so we just hang shit <laughs> on each other. Um, but no, nah, he's good. Um, it's been really good just to spend, you know, three weeks with him before, leading into the first test is really good. Sometimes you don't come into camp till a couple of days before, but um so that's been really good. So it's just exciting. I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to go out there and bat with him. In all seriousness, mate, there's that kind of emotional connection, you know, hanging a bit of banter on each other. Is that important as an opening pair? Yeah, I think so. There's got to be a relationship there. Um, and I think because we're pretty similar, we get along with each other and we can sort of hang a bit of crap on each other and you don't take it too seriously. It's good. So um, I know like you sort of, especially if you're like in and out of sides, it can be tough batting with different people all the time. So the more time you can spend with them, the better. Um, so we're starting to forge that relationship. It's obviously early in our opening partnership, but hopefully it's the start of something that can, you know, go for a while. Just, uh, I guess we touched on a little bit before when when you were talking about England's 11 not being finalised and, and it not being a particularly big deal for, for you in terms of your preparation. Can you give us a bit of an insight into what it's actually like to prepare for a test match? Like what are the, what are the things you're doing away from the field? How much footage are you watching of, of opposition? Just give us a bit of an insight into what's that, what, what that's like, Marcus. Oh, well, I've probably had, um, I've had a fair idea of, uh, after playing in the last actual series of what they're going to try and do coming into this series. So, um, you work on that. Um, I work on that stuff all the time. Um, and then, there's plans that they might try. You know, I lean on Andrew McDonald a lot just because I've had him as a coach at Victoria. Then he's here as an assistant coach as well. So we just talk about things, plans, what they might try and do. Um, and then you try and put it into practice at training. Um, and then, you know, our bowlers are doing the same thing. They're trying to get us out every ball at training. So that's what's such a good contest. So um, we have all the footage at our disposal. We can watch that as much as you want or don't want um, and just have a fair idea of what they're going to try and do. Um, and it'll be, I'm sure they're doing exactly the same as what we're doing, but you have a look. So they might try and bowl around the wicket. So I'll practice plenty around the wicket stuff in, at training. And then um, if that doesn't work, they might come over the wicket and try and bowl at my body. So you work on that at training um, and you just try and tick everything off. So once you get out in the middle, you feel as well prepared as you can. Are you someone who likes to get into the real nitty gritty of the technical stuff and watch a lot of footage of yourself? Or are you happy just to take the word of the coaches? Uh, bits and pieces. Like sometimes you try to, um, so for example, last week at training, I was working on something on just where um, batting on a different guard. Um, and sometimes it's just good to see what that looks like. Just because you know, you can sort of feel what it, you know what it feels like, but you don't always know what it looks like. Mm. So sometimes you want to look at it. Sometimes you don't, I'm not too worried about it. Um, but like I said, nowadays, everything's there for you to, at your disposal to use that if you want to. So some guys are different to, some guys will pick it to pieces and you can, 
you got to be careful doing that though, because sometimes you can find stuff that's actually, if you want to look hard enough, you can always find something yeah. that you've done wrong. So um, everyone's different. Yeah, I go through phases if I feel like I'm working on something, I try to look for stuff. Um, but then if it feels like it's moving right and everything's going all right, I don't get too worried about it. Comes in around the wicket this time. Harris punches. He's going to come through for the quick single. There's a shy. The striker's in. It misses. And it's a beautiful century to Marcus Harris. He's batted extremely well today. He's 11th century in Sheffield cricket for Victoria and he's 19th century in first-class cricket overall. I presume that you trained at the Gabba this morning, Marcus. Did you uh, get a chance to peel back the covers and have a look at what you're playing on? I didn't actually. But I was out at... So we had a group of um, batters that went to the Gabba just for like throwdowns and stuff and then... Um, all the boys bowled. We're out at North just because the run-ups are a bit better as so they can run off their full run there. Um, but I saw the wicket from a distance yesterday, but it was still three days out from the game. So don't really get too worried about the wicket three days out from the game. So we'll train tomorrow and I'll have a look at it then. But at the end of the day, we're used to rolling up to the Shield game and it looks like the outfield, so anything's better than that. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is there a bit of a theory that they are a bit greener for the Shield games? Well, no, it's not a theory. It's a fact. Um, so <laughs> we're normally, you're normally on an end wicket and the, you know, I think it's almost like a different grass compared to what the test wickets are. So um, generally in test match cricket, the wickets are pretty good. So uh, I'd assume it would be much more of the same. And tell us what it's like playing at the Gabba. Obviously, it's a lot smaller than your home ground at the, of the MCG. But what's it like when you stroll out to the middle in front of a big crowd? Uh, talk us through that experience. Well, it's not too dissimilar to the G in the way that the sort of the ground feels a bit the same, just a smaller version of it. Um, it gets very loud. Um, I know in some big bash games there, yeah, it feels it, it absolutely pumps and it's a bit of a concrete jungle. So um, I'm not sure how many it seats, but I think the first day sold out. So I think there'll be 30 or 40,000 there. So it's going to be good. It gets very, yeah, it gets very loud, a bit echoey. So um, it's a great atmosphere. It obviously gets hot as well. Um, especially I remember that Indian test match was red hot, but um, I'm not sure it's going to be quite that hot this week, but um, yeah, it can be a bit of a cauldron. And hopefully one of the fortunate things about the borders being closed, I'm not sure how many of the Barmy army are going to be there. So we might actually outnumber them for once. Uh, another unknown uh, for us at the moment, for everyone, I suppose, is the fate of that Perth test as a, as a Perth lad originally, I'm, I'm sure you'd be devastated if that didn't go ahead. Um is there a bit of a sense that maybe these first two tests, just when you, you're looking at, you think the Gabba might be a, a touch green and, and Adelaide Oval is normally quite good uh, to bowl on under lights. Do you get a sense that these first two tests might be your biggest challenge as an opener? Well, the, well, the first part of that, the Perth thing, hmm. yeah, well, being from Perth, you've sort of been, I've become accustomed to the fact of just giving up on trying to go home because there's just no yeah. point. But um, when was the last time so you, I think you went home, Marcus? Sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, uh, yeah. I was home for a Shield game in March, but that was sort of, you're there for five days and you've four of those days you're playing and the other day you've travelled, so you can't really do too much. I probably haven't been home properly since the 2019 Ashes, but I was only home. Again, I was there to play and then I was um, only home for a week. So we haven't been home for a while, myself and my partner. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, trying to say to CA, can we reschedule the test, you know, a week out? <laughs> sort of goes to what they their thinking is at the moment so um but no i don't think the whackers are i mean the gab is a great wicket i think every time you see every summer there's someone gets in and makes a big hundred there so um the wicket's good and i think likewise in adelaide we've played plenty of pink ball games there now so um 
yes, there's challenging periods, but there's also times in the game where, you know, it's in the favour of the batsmen. So, um, yeah, the wickets in Australia are generally pretty good. It's not like, you know, where you're overseas, not too sure what you're going to get. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I'm probably at the point of my career now where I don't really worry about the wickets too much. You just have to try and find a way to score runs and whatever they roll up is what they roll up. You just got to deal with it. And I suppose you, you had a successful winter with Leicestershire as well. And I assume you would have played on some pretty spicy wickets over there. So has that held you in a bit of good stead as well, would you say? Yeah, I think so. That's just And playing in different conditions all the time. Um, like the wickets there can look really good, but they don't always play that well. So that was a good challenge, just trying to work out a way to play the game a little bit differently, especially if the wickets aren't quite as true, um, just to try and find a way in the game. So that's what is good personally, just to try and, found a way to score runs and, you know, you have to play a different way to what you play in Australia. But it's like when you come from, you know, if you played in Adelaide or Melbourne, you play have to play a bit differently when you go to the Gabba. So it's no different to going overseas. So, um, yeah, I hope that holds me in good stead for the summer. Final one from us, Marcus, who's going to face the first ball if you're batting on day one on Wednesday, mate? That's actually a good question, Louis, because I don't know, I'm happy to do whatever, but, and so is Davey. So, be whatever Davey wants to do. If he wants me to face it, I'll face it. If he wants to face it, he can face it. We're not too bothered. It's no good if you're both on both not fussed about it. You need someone to make a decision, don't you? Well, I norm I don't think <laughs> I think Finchy said to me on my test debut was the first time I'd ever faced the first ball as a bat an opening batsman. I'd open for about 90 shield games before that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, I don't know. If Davey wants to face it, he can face it. If he doesn't, I'll take it. Doesn't matter. Brilliant. Marcus, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you, mate. Um, good luck in two days' time. No worries. Thank you, boys. All right. Thanks to Marcus Harris for joining us there. That was really good. And as we said uh, in that interview, he's locked in to partner David Warner at the top of the Aussie order. Pat Cummins named the team three days out from the first test. Louis, do you like that move from the new skipper? Even more than three days, I think it was. What was it, Saturday that he named it? So oh, yeah, okay. That's what, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, so, you know, a, a much longer than what an Aussie team normally names mm. their um, names their 11 for. Uh, so it is rare. It, it is funny, though, that they have – not funny. It is a point of interest, I, I might say, that they've probably gone for the conservative option in all four of – the decisions they had to make. Mm-hmm. And when I say conservative, I mean the ones you probably would have predicted if if you said that, you know, this spot was up for grabs. So if we kind of run the ruler over them, the opening spot, Harris has kind of got the nod. Kawaja was probably his main competition there yep. after Will Pukowski went down. Is Aussie stiff there, do you reckon? Uh, in terms of opening, I think Harris is probably the, the man uh, most qualified. Um, he's had a few goes at test cricket. Uh, never quite nailed it, but always really shown some promise, um, I think. Um, and he, he's spoken really well about how he's gotten over 2019. We touch, touch on a little bit with him just before. Um, so I, I think that is a pretty safe bet in, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the most qualified candidate. Then number five, Uzi lost out again to Travis Head. Um, Travis Head, I guess, you know, played last summer. It was probably – he'd probably say that he was disappointing last summer against – against India, kind of coming into it, um, averaging around 40 um, and didn't really nail his spot. Um, so he's one out there. Mitchell Stark, whether there was actually ever any chance that he was going to miss this, that might have been a, a bit of a beat up. But Jai Richardson's form was was pretty irresistible, wasn't it? 
um, but they have resisted and, and stuck with you know a guy they know. They know yeah. what he what he gives you um, in Mitchell Stark, and then Alex Carey was always the front runner to replace Tim Payne. So yeah, long way of saying that they probably picked the guys you would have predicted. There were no bolters in there. Certainly. Um the opposite to the last Ashes series on mm. this turf when we had a few bolters, Payne and Bancroft, and I think there might have been another one in, in the middle order, but certainly the 11 was a big surprise for that first test. Yeah. This time around, not so many surprises. Sean Marsh as well, that's, I reckon. Yeah, I yeah and he'd, he'd been through the ringer a little bit, and we we all felt like we knew Sean at that point, and he came out and had a great series, probably the, his uh, career-defining series. And, and then don't, don't forget, they dropped Peter Hanscom after two tests and, and brought in Mitch Marsh mm. um, and he did quite well um, making 100 of the Wacker. So, yeah, uh, and and then I guess when we, we think about England, um, it will be interesting to see if they take a similar approach. Uh, there, there may be fewer question marks, um, but maybe a few over their bowling. Yeah, they're a little – they're probably quite settled as well, but there are certainly a few points of contention. The spin position has been one that's been a talking point this week. Um, and also the, that third seamer. Uh, which way do you think they're going? Have you heard anything which way they might choose to go? No, not heard anything in particular. You'd think playing five fast bowlers, uh, well, if they played four specialists and, and Ben Stokes as well, you'd think that'd be overkill. Um, and you'd think that visiting teams would have learnt their lesson that you do need a spinner, I think, to win in Australia. If you look back to how England won a decade ago in Australia, Graham Swan was was super important to mm-hmm. how they went about things. And I think England's best hope is to fo- hope, hope that Jack Leach can be Graham Swan, that he can be, um, you know, a defensive option uh, for, for the majority of the tests and then maybe come into his own on the, on the final day of, of some of these games. Um, and, and then hope that their bowling attack in, in Broad and Anderson, however many tests they play are, uh, are good to go. Um, that Ollie Robertson is is as good as he's touted to be as a, as a tall, um, medium, fast type bowler, and that they can get you know at least three tests out of Mark Wood. I think that's the key, isn't it, for, for them? I mean, he's their only really genuine paceman. Yeah, Wood's going to definitely be the one who is going to hurry the, the Aussie batsman up more mm. than anyone else. But I do feel like he's just a bit below the pecking order in terms if they're only picking three in the eleven. You know, with Anderson and Broad supposedly locks, um, hard to fit him in, I reckon. It was interesting what Marcus Harris had to say just then about how the the pitches, it's not a, I think, what was his line? It's not a theory, it's a fact that the test pitches are are a lot flatter than than the shield pitches. Um, So that, you would think, might play into Wood's uh, hands a little bit. It would probably play into Stark's hands a little bit, I think. Um, If it was going to be a green seamer, you know, they might have looked at um, Jai Richardson and, and England might have opted to kind of go with a, a Wokes or, or a Robinson. Um, you'd think Robinson is probably going to play. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, Wood Wood will absolutely play a part in this series and he'll be incredibly important for them, I think. Their top seven looks pretty settled. I mean, maybe Pope and Bairstow are sort of fighting over that one position, but we did hear a little bit of news on the grapevine that there could be a Ben Stokes at number three. What do you think of that move? Is that something that could work or is he better suited down the order, especially given his time out of the game? I think he could be really successful there. I think if you look maybe just at the balance of that team and his potential workload, I think it probably works out better for him at number five when when maybe he's not coming in against the, the brand new ball quite as often. Um 
I think, and and I think when you got David Milan, I'd like to see him give it first crack at three. We know Joe Root doesn't really want to bat there. He he likes being at mm-hmm, four. So mm-hmm. um, whether Milan's a three is another question as well. He might be better suited to. Yeah, I mean, you could mount that argument that yeah, definitely. The, that Stokes is the better player. Get him in early. Um, and we know that under their previous coach, Trevor Bayless, he was very much about, you know, getting in your best players early and, um, you know, at, at one point wanted Root to really bat at three and, and own that spot. Um, yeah, I, I think I think he works well at, at five. And, and I do think the England batting, I believe they'll go a little bit better than people are giving him credit okay, for. Yep. I, I think... Um, I think there's enough to like about them. I really like Rory Burns and think he can mm-hmm. be a really successful player in Australia. He's, um, there's a lot of commentary around what his technique looks like and, and things like that, but it doesn't matter about how you look. Steve Smith is the best example of it. Um, he, he, I reckon he's got a, got you know the, the medal to kind of succeed in Australia. The, the question mark for England is, is over their bowling, whether they can take 20 wickets consistently for me. Well, just speaking about the batting as well, David Mullan, he got a century last time England were here in Perth, but the Perth Test won't be going ahead this summer. What's happened there? Yeah, just uh, literally in between recording uh, this bit of the podcast and, and the Marcus Harris interview, we, we got confirmation that Perth wouldn't be hosting their the Ashes finale, um, as it were, um, and that uh, CA are working, I guess, through where they might play that fifth test now. Um, you'd think Tasmania might be in the box seat um, you know, I, I think it's no secret that tests in Melbourne and Sydney, um, maybe even Canberra to an extent, would probably make more money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's suggestions that the Tassie government might be able to tip in a little bit to make up the difference. So they're all considerations. In terms of the actual cricket, Josh, it would be an interesting one if they ended up playing in Tassie because it does have a reputation in, in among in shield ranks, at least, of, of being very bowler-friendly, especially on day one. So we could end up with a situation where we play at a wet, you know, a wet gapper is, is probably an overstatement, but uh, you know, it's it's been it's been basically underwater there, um, <laughs> in Brisbane recently, and then Adelaide the second test is always good for pink ball, yep. um, always good for for bowling. Melbourne Sydney a bit flatter, and then you might be going to Hobart for for another green one. So that would make a, a fascinating series, and might actually bring England into the contest a bit more. It would set up a really fascinating finale if. Everything was on the line heading into that um, Hobart test, and especially because we haven't seen a test down there for so long. I think 2016 was the last time Australia were there when they were rolled by South Africa. So we just don't know what we would get if we did go there. More recently, I guess, there have been tests in Canberra and... um, have there been any out there? Was another venue the Gold Coast? No, uh, not the women's the test, women's I suppose. Yeah. yeah, but but Canberra, yeah, did get that one against Sri Lanka a couple of summers ago. You'd spare a thought for Tim Payne, wouldn't you? If uh, if it finished up in in Tasmania and and he you know that wouldn't have that been the um the perfect swan song, but yeah, I don't think that'll be happening now. Let's just look ahead to the test matches. Um, so through all five tests regardless where they've played. Louis, you'll be speaking to former Test captain Ricky Ponting after or during play or after play, and then we're going to have a, a Unplayable Podcast special edition after each day's play. So you're, are you looking forward to speaking to Ricky during the Test series? Always, mate. Yeah, I am. Uh, looking forward to uh, getting the best out of Ricky and, and bringing him into your ears uh, the night 
uh, after every test, I suppose, or, or maybe the morning after for the, for the day-nighters, given yes. um, given how late some of those are going to finish. So that should uh, that should be hopefully a really good listen, at least um, among 50% of the podcast participants for that one. <laughs> so do you have any big predictions for the Ashes? What are we going to see over these five tests and who is going to um, be player of the series? I think Australia will win. I think England will win a test match. I'm not going to nominate where, but I, I think – Given it's going to be a wet summer, I think it's going to be a two-one margin. Yeah, right. And so we'll have two draws in there. Washouts, not uh, two washouts. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yep. correct. Although you never know. I mean, it could be a combination of both. If if you get to the MCG or the SCG, and um, you know, there's a bit of rain and combined with a, a not a, a not a, a sporting wicket, you might say. Um, I think Josh Hazelwood will be player of the series. Okay. Um, I think he was just perfectly set up for um, a series on, on all surfaces, but particularly ones that may potentially help fast bowling. Um, my bold prediction is that Marcus Harris will make more than one century in this series. Okay, great. That's my bold is that prediction. Just because we spoke to him just a few moments no, ago. No, no, I I, uh, I was just getting my notes up from a couple of days ago, thinking about uh, predictions. So that's my bold prediction. I think court calling. Hazelwood, man of the series and leading wicket takers and all that bold. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that one shakes up. Josh, what have you, what have you come up? With? Have you shaken your crystal ball and come up with anything? Uh, well, probably nothing too outrageous, but I think player of the series generally falls to a batter, as in Australian conditions. Mm. Generally, I'll mm. say not all the time. Last, not if I was speaking. Last it would never be a batter. <laughs> last year, of course, bowlers decide series. Sorry, yeah. Pat Cummins <laughs> was a d- deserved winner last season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Marnus Labuschagne mm. will have a, ni- a big summer and he'll score lots of runs and he'll be the player of the series. And my bold prediction is that we will see a tied test. Wow. One of the five. We're wow. going to see the third tied test. So that's, that's my bold prediction. That's much bolder than mine. Yeah, that's much bolder than mine. <laughs> It'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely it would. Absolutely it would. Um, what are the odds of that happening? How many tests have been played? We've only had two. 19, testing my memory here, but 1986 Madras, the one where – that was the one where Dean Jones was – That's the one, yeah. yeah. 1960 Brisbane, yes. Australia versus West Indies. So yeah, good knowledge. Only two in over 2,000 test matches, so maybe number three this summer. Yeah, first first tight Ashes test. Um, it's It's been a very weird couple of years, so that would um, – that would really round it out, wouldn't it? it we, we've just—I mean—we've just seen uh, a bowler take ten wickets in a Test match. So. Well, who would have thought that would happen? Correct, correct. Yeah. Thanks for joining in on this week's edition of the Unplayable Podcast. Don't forget, after day one in Brisbane, you can catch up with Louis Cameron and Ricky Ponting to recap, as will be the case for the entire series. We look forward to your company then, and enjoy the cricket. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.